following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Faith, even just a little faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this tree, be uprooted and be planted in the middle of the ocean and it, it, it will be done. And the point of Jesus' illustration there is not that we go around telling trees what to do, although good, good luck with that. Uh, but the idea was that uh, it's not the, a quantity of your faith that's important. It's that you use or exercise the faith that you have. Right? So if you have even just a little bit of faith and you put it into practice, it will, it will produce great things in your life. And the context there is specifically being able to forgive those who have harmed you. seems like an impossible thing, but with faith, even a little bit, if we take steps in the right direction, it works. But here uh, Luke puts a, a story um, right up against it that says, well, that's true. However, uh, it doesn't take a lot of faith, but it does take the right kind of faith. And it would be very easy to look at the first account and, and picture faith or define faith as purely optimism. And I know a lot of people kind of get that idea that faith is just having a really positive attitude about things. And uh, so, so Luke puts this account right after to correct that idea that faith is not just optimism. And in fact, you can have a faith that is deficient and is not truly saving faith. And so let's look at this story and see... Uh, as as he unpacks it, what the difference is between a faith that's just optimism and a faith that's truly saving faith. We want to have, of course, saving faith, uh, a faith that produces eternal life in us. Uh, so what is saving faith and what's the difference? Um, the story, of course, is about uh, ten lepers. Uh, it says, starts off saying that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem as he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Uh, it's a little bit of a confusing statement because um, what, he, what it says is Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem, but he's traveling along the border between uh, Galilee and Samaria. Uh, well, the problem with that is that the, the journey from, from the north to Jerusalem is a, is a north-south journey going south, the border between Galilee and Samaria runs east-west, right? So it throws people off. How could Jesus be going to Jerusalem when he's traveling the wrong direction? It would be kind of like saying, you know, I'm going to Bangkok by means of the Mekong River, okay? Uh, now, if you're living in Laos, you would have to cross the Mekong River to get to Bangkok. But if you go down the Mekong River, you'll never get there, right? Uh, but the point here is not geography, the point is that Jesus is on a mission, and the mission is just Jerusalem. The mission, the goal of Jesus is going to the cross. And uh, Luke is not here picturing that Jesus is getting nearer geographically, but he is getting nearer in time to the, the cross. Right? And so as he's traveling, he's traveling around, he's not taking a straight route, but every step is bringing him a day closer to the cross. And not only that, but as as it's becoming more and more clear that the Jews are rejecting him, uh, the likelihood of where Jesus is headed is becoming more and more visible and apparent. The Jews largely have rejected him. Uh, they largely have 
are becoming hostile toward him. And so the question is, you know, as Jesus nears the cross, as he nears Jerusalem, as his uh, enemies oppose him more and more, will Jesus still be the compassionate, helpful person that he has been up to this point? And uh, so we see here that Jesus is still loving people. He's still showing mercy and compassion. Uh, and we don't know it yet, but, but as you read the account, you assume these ten lepers are all Jews. We find out that at least one of them was not. Um, and uh, as Jesus enters this village, they're standing at a distance because they're lepers. They're standing far away. And they begin to call out to Jesus. Uh, so specifically that they cry out for mercy uh, from a distance. And there's a couple of things we need to remember about lepers. We probably know this, but just quick review. Um, leprosy was a skin disease. Uh, it, it could describe several different diseases, but most likely the form of leprosy that's described in Scripture was a, was a horrible, debilitating disease where you would begin to lose body parts, right? It was, it was really the decay and rotting away of your flesh. It was kind of a living death. Right, and uh, of course we still have it in the world today, and it's um, it's a horrible disease, it leaves you disfigured. But in Jewish culture, it was even worse than that because it also cuts you off from society, and uh, and that's why the lepers are calling out from a distance. They are not welcome to be in the village or to have near contact with people. In fact, as they would travel, they would have to yell out unclean, unclean, as a warning to anybody to stay away from them. So they were cut off from society. They couldn't interact with people. On top of that, they were cut off from worship because they were in a constant state of uncleanness. They would never, ever be in a place or a state where they would be okay to enter into the temple and worship, to offer sacrifices or to be in in corporate worship with other Jews. This was a horrible disease. And it was one that was a, a very graphic picture of what sin does, right? It is kind of a living, walking death as the corruption and decay of your flesh takes over before you're long dead. It's a great picture of what sin does in our soul, right? Uh, sin is the decay and corruption of our soul. It is living death, right? As day by day we are constantly unclean. And no matter how much they would scrub their body, no matter how much bleach they would apply. Uh, They could never be clean. They were always in a state of filth, of pictured as as just filth, right? What What a picture of sin. Only they had the unfortunate opportunity to live it out every day. Well, it says that they were crying to, to Jesus for mercy. Uh, important to look at that word briefly as well. Uh, mercy is an appeal for compassion from one who is greater and more powerful. Okay, an appeal for compassion from one who is greater and more powerful. So you would use this word if you were a slave seeking mercy from a master. Right? You would use this word if you were a, a citizen seeking mercy from a king. And uh, they understand that Jesus is greater than them, and they, they address him with the title, Master. Master, as one who is greater than them. And so as we, we start the story, uh, some important things come out about these guys. That's good. First of all, uh, they're very needy people. 
Right? They are the kind of people Jesus has been attracted to all through the Gospels, those who are sick and in need and impoverished. Right? Secondly, they understand that they are not equal with Jesus. They come with a certain kind of humility that recognizes Jesus as greater than them. And they don't demand for, for help, but they seek for mercy. It's an important concept for us to kind of think about who come from the democratic West where we have this idea that there is nobody greater than me, right? So we don't ever ask other people for mercy, like, right? You know, you're having some car problems. You don't go to your friend and say, could you please show me some mercy and help me with my car problem? No, you say, hey, could you give me a hand, bud, right? And there kind of comes with it an expectation that we have a right to help because we're all equal. Uh, but they don't have that attitude. They have this very humble sense that they or asking a favor from somebody who they don't have a right to, to a claim for that. Right? It's mercy. It's generous compassion on the part of one who's greater, who doesn't really owe them anything. That's what mercy is. Um, and, and what they're asking for, we don't exactly know. They don't say they want healing, but it's kind of implied. Uh, maybe they wanted alms or food, but they wanted help of some sort. Uh, Perhaps they were hoping and heard of Jesus and were hoping for healing. And Jesus answers by giving them basically a test of faith. And in other accounts, it's not that Jesus is afraid of lepers. We have other accounts where Jesus walked up and he touched a leper and he spoke healing over them. But in this case, he doesn't do this. He gives them a test of faith. And uh, it fits again. It lines up really well with the story before because um, he needs them to demonstrate that they trust what he is calling them to do, that they have enough faith to appropriate healing. And so the way Jesus does this is he says, okay, here's the deal, guys. You just need to go present yourself to the priest. And uh, it wasn't just to show up and say, hey, priest, I'm here. It was to present themselves before the priest to inspect their bodies to see if they were clean of leprosy. And, of course, if you've read through all those fascinating passages in Leviticus about testing for leprosy. I know it's you know, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Um, just can't get enough of that. Um, if you've read those, you know there's all these tests that they can do that the priest would determine if the leprosy was gone. Uh, leprosy never went away by itself, by the way. It didn't just disappear. It was always an act of God's gracious healing that would bring that about. But in that event, they would go to the priest and he would verify that they were clean, they were healed. And he said, go on your way, go present yourself to the priest. And maybe they didn't have faith to, uh, giant faith to believe that God would heal them. But I love that they had enough faith to take steps in the right direction. Right? That's the mustard seed principle. You may not have faith to do everything God commands you, but do you have faith to take the first step? Well, that's the way it was with these guys. I don't know how much they believed God would heal them, but they did have enough faith to follow Jesus' instructions. And so they set off to go find a priest. And it says, on the way, what happens? They are healed, right? Uh, God takes their mustard seed of faith, and he, he does a miracle. And he cleanses them. And I love the word that's used there for healing. It says, uh, for leprosy, you're not just healed, you are cleansed. Right? The disease is gone, its scars and effects are gone, uh, and its filth is removed. Right? Once again, your skin and your flesh is alive instead of decaying. And they were cleansed. So what's important to see here is that they passed the first test of faith. Right? 
they have some measure of faith. Uh, they didn't mock Jesus. They didn't laugh at Jesus and say, well, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. Why would we go to the priest if you're not going to heal us? No. They exercised what little faith they had. And uh, as a result, they received God's gracious healing that comes to all. Um, but the rest of the story, Jesus unpacks a bit more detail. And uh, as we know the story, there's a great gulf or gap or separation between nine of them and one, right? Uh, one has what Jesus calls saving faith, right? They all had some faith, but their faith was not equal. Their faith was not saving for all of them. Uh, so what is saving faith? Well, uh, we know that nine of them kept going and one turns back. And I believe that Jesus gave this, this, this test of faith in two parts, right? The first, first test was the test to go. The second test, though, was the test to come back, right? Who would trust enough to turn around and come back and seek Jesus after they were healed? Well, only one had that kind of faith. Only one turned around and came back seeking Jesus. And I love what it says. It says, then one of them, when he saw he was healed, he turned back praising God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet giving him thanks. And now, as it turns out, he was a Samaritan, right? Um, this guy recognized the healing as it came. Uh, and, and so it's, it's clear that the healing was quite dramatic, right? Uh, it was not something that really needed a priest to figure out. And we don't know if you know, all of a sudden his fingers grew back or his nose came back or whatever. He knew that he had experienced a life-changing miracle. And he was deeply moved by what had happened, so much so that he turned back to seek and find Jesus. Um, and and the, the lesson gets unpacked in Jesus' response. And Jesus responds to the actions of both, the nine as well as the one. And notice what Jesus says in verse 17. Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed, right? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Right, so that was his comment about the nine. Then he says about the one, he says to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Uh, Jesus reflects on uh, the two responses, and in his statements he makes it clear that their faith was not equal, right? He, he commends the faith of the one and said, his faith has made you well. Literally, we'll see it in a moment. Literally, it says, your faith has saved you. Not just healed you, your faith has saved you. So what was the difference? Well, first of all, let's look at the defective faith of the nine. Um, their, 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 uh, their faith was, was evidence that it was defective, Jesus says, because they were ungrateful. He says, where, where are the other nine? Why did they not turn back and praise God like this foreigner? Right? Uh, Jesus doesn't make really a lot of other statements about their faith than just that. He says their faith was defective, and the proof or evidence of its, uh, its incompetence is that they lacked praise and gratitude to God. Uh, Jesus clearly expected them all 
to return. That's why I believe it was, it was also part of the test of faith. Jesus expected them to all come back and to seek him and to give glory and praise to God and thanks to him. What's interesting about this is Jesus doesn't normally do this, right? In fact, this is the only record in the Gospels of anybody thanking Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus never advertised for it, right? Jesus never said, well, I've healed you, now you know, let, let's hear it, right? Kind of strange. And certainly Jesus, um, as we looked at last week, was a perfect example of a humble servant who was serving the Father not for the praise of men. Right? He was doing it for the glory of God. So he's not saying here that, man, I'm so bummed. You know, it's just like, you know, I don't, he wasn't getting frustrated here and saying, see, people just don't appreciate me. He was not having some kind of pity party because he felt taken advantage of. Right? He's going to go to the cross feeling taken advantage of. And he would do it willingly. But what he's stating here is a statement about their faith. He's saying that when people are unwilling to praise God, when they're unwilling to recognize uh, the source of their, their help, it is a mark that there's something lacking and defective in their faith. There's something missing about what they experienced, uh, and it's detrimental, it's serious. Right? It's not about Jesus. Jesus is here commenting about their lack of faith. Well, why was it inadequate? Well, Jesus doesn't tell us that, right? Uh, he doesn't say, you know, here's the problems with their thinking or with their belief or their faith that made it inadequate. He only makes it very clear by his judgment and condemnation that their faith failed. Uh, so I'm going to do a very dangerous thing. I'm going to speculate what I think some of the failure was, but I'm going to try at biblical speculation. Okay, so just before warned, I don't know what these guys were thinking. Jesus doesn't tell us, right? We have no record. Uh, but, but let's just think about it in terms of our own context, right? Uh, for modern people, right, what are some of the things that we know from Scripture that, that would lead to a defective faith? Okay, and again, I'm not saying it comes from this passage, right? I'm not saying these guys felt that. But let's just think a little bit about what could have contributed to a defective faith on their part. Um, first thing could be that they were in denial about the depth of their disease. I like all those D's. Denial about the depth of their disease. See, if you don't have scripture proof, you just come up with a really good alliteration. And it's got to be true, right? It's my theory. Um, they were in denial about what, what was really the state of their condition. Okay, that could have been the problem. They could have seen, and we, we, we can guess this because this was true of the Jews in general, right? Uh, over and over again, Jesus kept saying to them, it's the sick who need a doctor, right? You don't think you need me because you don't think you're sick. It, it is the lost sheep who needs a shepherd. You who think you're safe in the sheepfold, you think you don't need me, right? It is not the invited guests who show up at the banquet, it is the ones who feel least deserving, who are the poor and the weak and the lame and the outcast and the foreigner. Go find those and drag those in because they'll come. Right? Over and over, Jesus has been proclaiming this message that if you want to come to know him, if you want to come into the kingdom and come to his salvation, you've got to be fully honest about the condition of your soul 
and your heart, that you are spiritually impoverished and destitute, that you are lost and spiritually dead. Could it be that even these guys, sick and leprous, carrying around this visible sign of the the decaying effects of sin, believed that inwardly they were still a good person, right? That who saw their problem as only external and refused to admit the spiritual condition of their heart that was just as corrupt and leprous. We don't know. Um, But that is... That is a problem for a lot of people, right? Uh, They have faith, but their faith is really in their own spiritual health. They have faith, but their faith is in their own spiritual health. And they don't see their need for the saving work of Christ. Maybe. Second possibility. Maybe they felt that they deserved to be healed. Right? it doesn't say exactly that they were all nine Jews, but it's kind of implied, right? Because Jesus marks out that the one who came back was a foreigner. So he's really implying that the other nine, or at least some of them, were, were Jews, were people of the covenant, were the people who should have been searching for and seeking Jesus. And over and over, as Jesus has encountered Jewish leaders and the Pharisees and, and the Jewish system, What he has met with is a group of people who felt they did not need Jesus because they were deserving of God's blessing. That they had lived according to the law and the commands. They had earned or merited God's favor. And that, well, of course God would heal them. That's, uh, That's expected because they deserve it. They really were good people who fell into bad circumstances. And so they went to the bookstore and they bought the book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, right? And they, they felt, look, we, we deserve better than this. So when they got better, they weren't thankful, right? Because they got just what they deserved. They got the blessing that they felt they had a right to. So this faith is defective because it's, it's also a faith in my own goodness, It's a faith in what I deserve because I have merited it. Right? It's a defective faith. Third possibility. Uh, They were self-centered, self-focused instead of God-focused. Right? They believed that they were the center of the universe and God exists simply to make them happy. Now, we don't ever see this in here, do we? Right? A Christianity that is completely man-centered. And has this idea that God exists to make our lives comfortable. So if I'm uncomfortable, well, then, you know, I pray because that's what God's there for. He's there so that when I hit a little bump in the road, you know, a little case of leprosy, (laughs) you know, I call out to God and he fixes it for me and I can go on with my merry, self-centered life. It really is mind-boggling what these guys were thinking, right? They were outcasts. They were... You know, covered with this horrible disease, instantly they're healed and they go on their own way, kind of oblivious to Jesus. How is that possible? Well, it is probably possible for a person who's that self-absorbed, who really feels that they're the center of the universe and everything revolves around them, including God himself. And it's like, hey, great, now I can go on with my own self-centered life. Um, 
So this is a faith in my own glorious importance as the center of the universe. (laughs) My own glorious importance as the center of the universe. That uh, God is not higher. There's no sense of awe and majesty and wonder to God who is infinitely above us and who is the center of all things, who is the foundation of all things, who is the source of all things. Um, Well, whatever the case, I may be completely off. I don't know. It's just my wild guess. But whatever the case, one thing is clear. Jesus says that their faith is defective. Right? He only says of the Samaritan, you have saving faith, right? They may have had enough faith to find help from a very compassionate God. Uh, and it's amazing. Here's a God who's, who's that way. Jesus gives compassion to all. And he offers salvation to all. The problem is that not all have a capacity to receive it, to receive the full blessing of his salvation, because there was something very defective about their faith. So what is it that's different about the Samaritan's faith? What is it about his faith that made it powerful and effective to receive the full blessing of all God's salvation? Well, uh, this is what Jesus says. The story says, um, Was no one found to return and give thanks and praise to God except this foreigner? Verse 19, and Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's an unfortunate translation because the Greek word there is the word for saved. It says that your faith has saved you. Now granted, and the Greek scholars will all point this out. Yeah, but the word, word saved can mean to be saved from sickness. And it's true. If you're dying of pneumonia or some other plague and you get healed, uh, you've been saved from death, Right. But the main impact and force of this word is, is the saving part, not just the healing part. And what's significant is that Jesus uses this word of this guy alone in contrast to the nine. Uh, how many of them were healed? All ten, right? All ten were healed, but only one received salvation, right? I, I believe it, it really needs to be translated, and, and your faith has saved you. There was something about what he experienced that took uh, greater, that made a greater impact than just cleansing his leprosy. He was saved from the leprosy of his very soul. Um, so what, what is faith? Right? What was his faith and why was it so unique? Well, first of all, what is faith? Well, as I said, some people get this idea that faith is optimism. Right? That if I want something bad enough and believe it will come about because I'm optimistic, that's faith, right? Well, that is not faith. And in fact, as we'll see with this guy, there's something very, um, at some level, pessimistic about what he understands about himself. He's not fully optimistic about who he is. Uh, What happens in his life? Well, faith is seeing... The clear truth about myself and about God. Okay? Faith is grasping the reality of who I am and who God is. We all know the verse Hebrews 11. Uh, faith is what? The confidence of things hoped for. The assurance of what? Things not seen. Right? It's seeing what is not visible, but it's seeing it so clearly and so real 
grasping it so certainly that it's as if it's visible. Right? Well, what did this guy grasp? What did he see that the others did not? Well, I think there were three main things that he, um, that he understood. And we don't have to speculate as much about this guy because it tells us how he responded. Uh, the first thing is this. This kind of faith that grasps the full reality of who we are and who God is, is God-exalting. Right? Saving faith is God-exalting. Uh, I love it. When he realized he was healed, so he turns back, and what does he do? He praises God with a loud voice. And I, I just love the picture of this. You know, picture this small village, you know, in, in northern Samaria, out kind of in the desert in the hills somewhere. And uh, Jesus comes into the village, and the lepers are outside yelling, have mercy on us, Master, have mercy on us. He says, go, show yourself to the priests, and they disappear over some hill, right? Jesus enters in the city, and the crowds are there, and people are... Uh, asking him questions and wanting other healing. And all of a sudden in the background over this hill comes this guy, Hallelujah! Praise God! Woo-hoo! Right? Praising God with all of his voice. And it's like a little bunny. He comes up hopping over the hill, just dancing and jumping and praising God. Right? People think, wow, that guy's lost it. Right? Uh, he was public and vocal about his worship. Right? His praise. It wasn't a private thing. He didn't go up in some corner and privately say, boy, Lord, thank you. He is publicly announcing what God has done. I've been healed, right? And he is happy. And everybody's uh, looking at him as he's running down this road, praising God with a loud voice. He's exalting God. Um, What does that tell us about what he's, uh, what he's thinking? Well, first of all, I think all those three things that I mentioned, he would be the opposite of, right? I think he had a firm grasp of the true condition, not only of his flesh, but of his soul. Right? Uh, he wasn't just a little healed. He knew that he was uh, deeply healed. He knew that God had touched his life at the deepest parts of his being, right? Uh, one of the stigmas of, of leprosy was that it made you unclean. It wasn't just a physical problem. It was a spiritual problem. You were cut off from worship. You were cut off from God. You were cut off from society because you were wearing the proof of sin. Right? He understood that he had been cleansed, not just healed. Right? And there was some... Uh, Relief that came to him as he experienced that cleansing. Right? Um, I think he also knew that he was unworthy of that, uh, probably because he was a Samaritan. Right? He knew that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and that while he may have owed something to the Jews, he certainly would have owed nothing to a Samaritan dog. I mean, he would have known his standing before the Jews as one who was unworthy, right? So he's, he's, he's not resting in his, good, his own goodness. He has no expectation that he deserved anything or he merited Jesus' kindness or favor. Thirdly, uh, he's walking and living proof that he is not man-centered, right? He's praising and exalting God, and later he comes and he worships Jesus. He falls down at Jesus' feet, 
which is a, a great act, a picture of exalting Jesus as one who was infinitely greater than him, right? Falling down at his feet, right? He is lifting up God as supreme over all things. Um, what is praise? Well, praise is the natural response of one who has received a gift they did not earn or merit and that is beyond your power or control. When you have a job, you know, we all know none of you have real jobs, but say you do, right? It's just a joke. Don't take it personally. Right? Uh, you, you build a house or you do some job for somebody and they t- say they're going to pay you money. Uh, when you finish the job and you do it right and they pay you their, the salary, do you praise them? Well, of course not, right? Because you're getting what you deserve. You're getting what you worked for. You're getting what they owe you. You don't praise them for it, right? But, you know, when, when, when your bride said, I would marry you, you know, you know, all of us guys know that we got something we did not deserve, Right? that it was a pure act of grace and mercy that she would say yes, right? And, and there's some praise and awe in that, right? Uh, he knew he was not worthy and was undeserving. And that's at the heart of what praise is. Praise is a response to receiving God's incredible gift, knowing we had no power to make it happen in ourselves. There's nothing about us that was worthy of that. That's what praise is. So he praises God. He exalts God. Um, From an outcast to one who's now standing and bowing at Jesus' feet. Uh, Second thing about his faith, first of all, it was uh, God exalting. Secondly, it was Christ-centered. It was essential, it was necessary that he came back and sought Jesus. And Jesus makes that comment about the nine, right? That's what his comment is about. They should have come back and sought me. Because faith that does not lead to the feet of Jesus is not saving faith, right? Uh, It requires that it brings us back nearer to Jesus, to a place where we are bowed before his feet, um, where Jesus is, is seen as the primary agent of God's saving work. See, the other guys, I think, knew that God healed them, uh, but they didn't understand that God's agency of work in in the the age of the church was through Christ alone. They thought that Christ was expendable. This guy understood differently. He came back seeking Jesus, knowing that Jesus was the, the thing. And and as I said, it's one of the rare moments in the Gospels where you see somebody before the cross worshiping Jesus. Uh, And and Jesus does not turn it away. Later in Acts, a similar thing happens to Paul. Remember, he healed some people and they started to worship him. And what does Paul do? He says, no, 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 you can't do that. Stand up. We are men just like you. We are not worthy of that kind of worship because we are not God. But Jesus welcomes the worship right? because he is God. He is worthy. Right? And then it was right and fitting for this man to worship, to fall at Jesus' feet and to exalt him. Christ must be the center of our faith. Uh, God works through Christ. 
And Jesus alone is the solution to all of our problems. And this guy had maybe not a full understanding of that, but he had some sense that Jesus was really key and important. And he was to be worshipped. That there was something divine about him. Um, He knew that Christ is what he needed. Um, That he is the hero of the story. And ultimately, Christ too must receive glory through what he does. Thirdly, uh, saving faith is abounding in gratitude. It's abounding in gratitude. Uh, He comes back, he worships, he praises God, he bows at Jesus' feet as as a gesture of exalting Christ, and he gives him thanks. Right? He gives him thanks. He pours out great thanksgiving to Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for changing my life. Right? Um, you see, true faith, wrap this together, okay, tie these pieces together. If true faith is grasping the invisible reality about who we are and who God is, right? If that's what faith is, then part of this guy's faith was both optimistic and pessimistic, right? Regarding himself, it was incredibly pessimistic. I am a Samaritan. I am unworthy. I am a vile, unclean leper, right? There's nothing in me that deserves God's help. But I cried out for mercy, and God in his compassion gave me this incredible gift of healing and cleansing, of washing me and making me a new person. That's the positive side. Uh, I may not be worth much, but God in his grace has given me so much. And you see, when those two realities come together, both the incredible lostness and desperation of our own need, And the incredible goodness and compassion of God, when those two things meet in faith, it's a wonderful thing that happens. And how can we help but not be thankful? It's impossible. If true faith, the true understanding of those two realities come together in our life, we cannot help but be greatly thankful. Uh, The best way I can explain this is... um, you ever had like a really bad dream? Like, like here's here's really bad pre. You know what really bad preacher dreams are? Well, I'm going to tell you. Right? Really bad preacher dreams is having this dream that you get up before all this huge crowd of people on Sunday morning and you realize after you stand up and get in front of everybody that you forgot to get dressed. And honestly, I've had several of these dreams and they are nightmares. Right? You just and it's like. And maybe it's something about the vulnerability, maybe feeling exposed preaching, I don't know. But it's really being exposed when you forget to get dressed, right? And it's just the worst dream ever. And it's like, ah, right? And, and just about when you're at the peak of humiliation and desperation, you wake up and you realize it was a dream. You're like, oh, gosh, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And note to self, get dressed on Sunday morning, right? Right? Or, or maybe, you know, you've had that dream where, uh, you know, you, you're part of the mafia, right? You're not quite sure how you got to be part of the mafia, but you're part of the mafia. And you just assassinated, you just did a hit on like some enemy gang, and they found out and they're after you. 
and, and they're after you, and the police are after you, and, and people you don't even know are after you. Everybody's after you, and you're running some, some dark alley, and people with guns are shooting at you, and it all just seems so real, right? And it's like you are there, and you just know you're going to die, and there's no, the, the alley's running out, you come to a dead end, and they're all about to get you, and you're just panicked with fear, and all of a sudden you wake up, and you realize it was just a dream, just a nightmare, right? Do you feel thankful? God, I'm so thankful I'm not part of the mafia and I haven't killed anybody yet, right? Just that relief, right? That relief of it's just a nightmare, right? Well, I think this guy had been living a real nightmare, right? Where his whole body was being eaten away and he was watching his body decay and rot before him but he wasn't dead yet. And nobody would talk with him. Nobody would come close to him. He was lonely and isolated and desperate for human touch. And he was cut off from God and he knew that what he experienced outwardly was only one piece of the reality inwardly that he was separated from God. That he was unfit and unworthy to come worship at in God's presence. That at the best he could shout from a far distance, God, please have mercy on me. And God did. And it's as if he woke up from this dream and all of a sudden he wasn't a leper anymore. He was clean. And he was fit to come near to Jesus. And he could fall at Jesus' feet and he could touch Jesus' very feet. And he could worship him was he filled with thanks, right? Uh, He was overflowing with thanks that it was just a nightmare, right? And what God had for him was so much more and different. I pray that we would have that kind of faith, a faith not only in the power of God to save us, but a clear understanding of all that God has saved us from, right? Uh, do not let us have this attitude that we deserve salvation. Okay? As long as we have that attitude, we, attitude, we have a defective faith, and our heart will not praise God. Okay? We will have nothing to thank Him for. As long as we have the sense that somehow God exists for me, and somehow I'm that important that the God of the universe would owe it to me to make my life comfortable because he's a God of love and that's just what gods do. When that's our heart and our attitude, it is a defective faith and it leaves us thankless, ungrateful, self-centered and clueless about worship. But a faith that, that acknowledges the depth of our sin the depth of our unworthiness and the incredible uh, extent of God's compassion that he loved us. That Jesus did go to Jerusalem and he went to the cross and he took upon us our sins. The punishment that fell on him brought us peace and by his stripes we've been healed.
You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.